Hi everyone. I recorded a conversation with the host of the Darkened Hour podcast, Adam Fitzgerald, about life in New York City now the vaccine mandates have come down and homelessness is on the rise. We get into the history of vaccines, why economics isn't taught in schools, questions of secession, and when exactly does a state become fascist. I hope it's of interest. Here's Adam talking about the difficulties of acquiring a cup of coffee. After we left Ground Zero, me and my friend, he's actually vaccinated. He's actually a nurse. So we were walking and he said, let's go to a restaurant. Well, we went to a restaurant. We were going in and the guy is waiting outside and he says, do you have any proof of vaccination? And I never, I live in New York. I live in Westchester, actually, lower Westchester. Uh, it's not over here. Like they have the restrictions over here. Manhattan, they do. And I was taken aback and I said, oh my God. And um, he has his vaccination card. I do not. And um, he actually tried to pass his card to me, like behind his back and, you know, tried to get me in. I said, no, don't, don't, I don't want to get him in trouble. I don't know how this is going to work out. Mm. And I said, no, I'm not vaccinated. And he says, well, you know, we can't allow you inside. When I'm 52 years old this year, and I never thought in all my life that I could never go to a business establishment because I can't show proof of vaccination. Anyway, no, we you went didn't to think that would ever happen when you were 51 no, years old. Adam. Right, that was like an absolute <laughs> crazy thought. <laughs> yes. And we went to another restaurant and this one had outdoor seating. We tried to get in. They basically said, no. We said, all right, well, can we sit there? He said, no, you can't even sit outside. And Greg is a nurse. He basically said, what are you talking about? Because that's why you have outdoor dining. He goes, yeah, but they now have passed the law where even outdoor dining, you have to show. And I'm like, this is how they do it, right? First, you can't go here. Then you can't go here. So they make it about where you have to just give in and get the shot. Right? Yeah. And we went to the third restaurant. We finally, you know, not get on site. We were outside eating and stuff like that. But I, we were talking about this, this experience. And he said to me, you know, him being a nurse, he said that he's been vaccinated three times. And he says that, look, it's not about the vaccine. I will tell you that right now. He goes, my, my hospital that he works in, I won't tell you the hospital, but he said his hospital laid off 40 nurses because those nurses wouldn't take the vaccination shots. The reasons were various. You know, it wasn't just this one constant reason as to why, whether, whether there was chips in it or it basically doesn't work. There was all types of reasons. And the, the funny thing is he says that last year, all those nurses were basically heroes. And this year, they're throwaways. Yeah. And he says, I'm telling, he goes, I'm telling you right now, he goes, this has nothing to do with vaccines or vaccination. It is about a creeping acceptance of a left and right paradigm. And he thinks that COVID is actually being politicized to the extent where you'll see a great divide within the country. And I was talking about with him because I said to him, you know, it's funny because during the week when Biden made that declaration, almost immediate response was 14 governors came right out and all 14 were Republican. And they said they would not enforce the mandate. And if the police, if they, if the Biden mandated the police or the, 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 um, the national guard to do it, that they would fight back against them. Like, I, I, I was like, holy cow. I never would have thought that I'd hear that. Yeah. Either. This is the only time in my lifetime. I thought I'm going to see Americans shooting Americans here. In I, I couldn't tell you that you would be wrong. And that's the horrifying fact. Uh, we are just so I think we're just sitting on a powder keg. 
And another reason, which is basically underreported by the media, is something that you talked about um, over the months. In fact, uh, it's about the uh, financial situation. The rent moratorium act is now uh, has expired. And on top of that, unemployment has now expired. Within the next six to 12 months, we're going to see homelessness rates skyrocket like never before. And just last week, we have now suppressed here in New York City, homelessness not seen since the, the uh, oh goodness, uh, 19... 30s uh during the, oh, uh, the great depression yeah great de- thank you the great depression well this was to me obvious when it was two weeks to slow the spread that was like the catchphrase here i assume it was right. the same in parts of america right same thing. Yeah. and my my thought about that was wow two weeks do you know how much economic activity goes on in two weeks that's oh. billions and billions and billions if you stop the economy for for two weeks there's going to be a massive hole and that's going to have to go somewhere right it means if, if you essentially use up a lot of resources keeping everyone at home for two weeks. Those resources are not then there to do something else. And those that something else can be keeping living standards up, keeping people in their homes and paying for health services. So it, it just seems to me the, the, the implications of this are not everyone's going to have to miss like their holiday in the Caribbean for a year because we, we spent the money on this two weeks to, to stay at home thing. Like it, it seemed obvious to me that pretty quickly the lives cost in terms of that squandering of resources would exceed the lives saved if if indeed it would save any lives of people staying at home now that was like for two weeks okay it's now been over 60 weeks we've had lockdowns on and off and a reduction in economic activity so it's crazy right it's just been this like this destruction of small businesses this wealth being sucked up into companies like amazon and away away from the small businesses you, you could see it, the writing on the wall. It's something that you you uh, turned me on to a couple of months back, and I just didn't realize the serious nature of it. When we had the first stimulus package, for example, the United States government, Biden administration, basically bailed out the big companies that you talked about, uh, Walmart, for example, Target, these leading large retail companies, which are basically already stunting the growth of the mom and pop stores, for example. Mm. Now, with COVID and the, um, the lockdown period that we went through, there's a great channel that illuminates this perfectly. His name is Louis Rossman. He's on YouTube. He lives in Manhattan. He's a small business owner. He's a um, computer uh, technician. He actually walks up and down like a 10-block radius, and he starts off with like these lower Manhattan, uh, I think it's Greenwich Village. He goes down. And you can see for yourself, you don't even have to live in New York. He goes to each business's closing, and it was worse than I can ever imagine because I, you know, I've heard about small business closings. I am in shock. And he goes up like 10 blocks and he goes right down east and west. Um, and every every like week, he posts like three videos a week and he shows you the enormous closures of these stores, even banks, um, TD Bank, for example, some branches of. Bank of America. It's worse than expecting. These people are not realizing the ramifications of this because it's not immediate. It's a long-term uh, mm. uh, progression. It's immediate in, in Africa, Adam, right? So as soon as you have lockdowns in African countries where people earn money for a day, spend money for a day mm. eating, okay, then it's immediate. And when there's pressure on supply chains, 
because of the dumping of vast quantities of food that isn't being consumed in restaurants and a, a rising food price that's felt immediately and people immediately go about food and within two or three weeks they're starving to death or they're dying of a disease that's brought on by malnutrition it's where insulated from it because of the fantastic levels of wealth in the countries we live in and also the ability of governments to run printing presses and convince sure. everyone that everything's fine until you realize it isn't right it's the illusion that you have safety financial security by because we can produce money but by producing one dollar uh, we build an indebt to the federal reserve on top of it it's something that just doesn't everybody should be aware of this but one thing in the United States is that we don't teach really economics very well, especially in elementary schools. Well, here's an interesting thought about that, Adam. Like if everyone in the world had a really good education in physics, okay, that probably wouldn't have an overwhelmingly revolutionary shift in the world. Okay. You might get better mobile phone technology because more people are thinking about how quantum mechanics works, but there are like some very bright people working on physics and it is a domain where specialists enter into it and do the really hard graph there. If I was to increase my knowledge of quantum mechanics, you would increase yours. Hundreds of thousands of people were to, it wouldn't necessarily change society. We just have to be able, be able to have interesting conversations down the pub about it. But by contrast, if everyone had a decent grounding in economics, society could not remain the same because the majority of people would understand that what government's telling them is nonsense. It's just utter nonsense. So I don't think it can be a coincidence that people don't learn about it. Oh, I would. Uh, that's a fantastic point. Also, at the same time, this is something, another subject, which is basically ignored altogether by the public and also by even the mass media, legacy media, foreign policy. Uh, is another issue. Yeah, that's that not would be probably well, second on my list. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Basically, foreign policy, even to the legacy media. Now I stopped watching TV twelve years ago, but um, I see these snippets of Fox News. My mother watches Fox News and Newsmax, and sometimes I'll pass by TV and I'm like horrified at what they're telling us about foreign policy itself. But it's basically so simplified, and you have these people basically just sit around a table. And they offer like their opinion. So in other words, they're not giving you news. They're giving you op-ed pieces. That's what passes off as news these days. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried about what the future would look like, say, five years from now. What they would really tell you is that next step is like uh, almost like this fascist mentality regarding either the right or from the left. It's almost like this anarchist mentality. So there's these extremes that are very polarizing within the left and right. Yeah, um, I don't think it necessarily comes from the left, right? I mean, everyone is understandably aware of this left-wing, rising left-wing totalitarianism, okay? Right, but yeah. where you have the left get uppity around the world, nine out of ten times, that doesn't end in Soviet Russia or Maoist China. It ends in a hard right reaction. It ends in Indonesia, in Chile, in the left that's being thrown out of helicopters, right. and a hard right government coming in and installing the Jakarta option, plan mm. Jakarta, just slaughter the leftist and a right-wing fascist dictatorship it's only really in like severely war-torn countries like russia and china where the left has really gained dominance so it could be that it does come from the left and we end up in a very left-wing kind of dictatorship or it could be that the reaction to the left-wing dictatorship sets up the right-wing dictatorship but that's what you see you see this boiling up on both sides at the moment yeah i, I mean take a look for example uh the pentagon they're basically a nationalist point of view 
I mean, we are, we've always had, we, at no point in the United States history have we ever had this, I guess, liberal mentality or this uh, even leftist uh, socialist mentality. It never happened. We have always been a right-leaning, a nationalist entity governed by a really virulent nationalist ideology. And when you go to the top echelons of the Pentagon, even to the top echelons of the intelligence apparatus, FBI, the CIA, it's almost this very, um, there's authoritarian parts to it, but it's basically just nationalist. In other words, it has to be quasi-Republican, God-given rights for guns and liberty. And the only way we we can protect this is by protecting democracy, not just here, but also around the world. And we saw that uh, after 9-11 effects, we went into Afghanistan and Iraq. And I think now, just yesterday, to my attention, Scott Orton posted a, uh, a link to an article. And I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. You have these neocons basically saying that we probably made some mistakes regarding uh, Afghanistan, Iraq and Douglas Fife. He's basically saying that, hey, at least Saddam Hussein didn't get weapons of mass destruction because it would empower Iran to get nuclear weapons and the entire Middle East and the world would be threatened by Iran. And he basically says Iran is the greatest exporter of terrorism. And to this day, you're like Douglas Fight is like one of the most uh, hawkish neocons in, you know, in history, in administrative history. And he's basically still trying to give himself an out over, you know, what I consider him a war criminal. Um, he's the architect of the Iraq war and million point five people were murdered on the ba- basis of a lie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think we'll ever see at any point the United States turning into a socialist or left leaning or or even worse, uh, uh, libertarian type of uh, government government run uh, country. It will never happen. No. And you see this with like the uh, the corporate Democrats. There's a huge difference between the pre-election rhetoric and when they get into power mm. on their th- thinking like the minimum wage and on um, Medicare for all. And it's kind of even even right, the squad right. come into line pretty quickly. Very right? say, Oh, OK, we can all relax. <laughs> They're not communists. You know, <laughs> it's just rhetoric. You know? yes. So, yeah, that that is um, whether you support those policies or not, you can see that like Nancy Pelosi clearly doesn't. Right. She clearly doesn't believe the words that come out of her mouth. Oh, there's some Democrats who are probably more right than people of the right. For example, Samantha Rice, Secretary of State, she basically mm-hmm. was one of the co-authors of the Libyan intervention, which basically deposed former President Muammar Gaddafi. And take a look at Libya now. It was basically yeah. run by Islamists who are fighting for control of the country. And there's open slave markets happening yeah. there now. And so, you're, you know, when, when we saw this Biden-Trump uh, electoral divide. Basically, the left was saying, here's a real progressive. Not not remembering that Biden was basically vice president to probably more authoritarian than, say, Bush. And you have Bush cabinet members who are basically jealous of Obama because he was getting away with more uh, egregious civil liberty uh, abuses than Bush could ever dream of. Libya, Syria, uh, the funding of Islamists uh, in Operation Timber Sycamore, which was basically an operation by the CIA under De- De- Colonel De- uh, General David Petraeus, supported by King Abdullah of Jordan and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. 
in, in supporting the overthrow of the Bashar al-Assad government by funding Islamists who were supposed to fight in the war on terror. So you're getting to see that there really isn't a true left and right divide in, in government. There is a left and right divide when it comes to the, the public issue, healthcare, social security, education. But when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to the Pentagon, there is only one party. But even that divide on the left, Adam, it's quite in the rhetoric, really, isn't it? Because the Democrats jettison a lot of their left-wing planks as soon as they get into power. Mm. And, or delay them into infinity. Well, well, wasn't that supposed to be Alexandria Cortez? Exactly, yeah. And people really fell for it. I'll, I'll give you another great example who's now fallen off the cliff. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi yeah. Gabbard yesterday tweeted something, and I never would have thought in a million years. She basically says 9-11 was an Islamist operation. And she basically demonized Muslims in general. She never did that before. And there were people who were commenting, responding to her, and saying that, ha-ha, uh, -ha, to the people of the left who actually thought this was a real progressive. Mm. And, you know, it's like you said before, the people who basically come out initially as progressives slowly make that turn because here they are basically being groomed by the real careerists like Nancy Pelosi and turning them into the leftists that they need. Yeah. I don't think Tulsi Gabbard was ever like that cynical of American foreign policy. She didn't necessarily agree with the wars, but she didn't see them as humanitarian crimes. Right. She, she basically did come out against the Iraq war. But for her to say that yesterday and to see so many people, uh, I, I mean, in the thousands, I couldn't read it. It was basically because I usually people really like her. People think she's great. She's a very attractive young woman. Um, people, and especially the left, loved her. Yeah, now, and she'll do things like she'll go on Rogan, okay? And that's, right. that's not easy to sit there for like three hours and have... Right. Pretty open questions put at you. In fairness to Sanders, he did it. Yeah. You know, and it was after the interview with, with Rogan, by the way, she gained more popularity. However, mm. we're starting to, we're starting to see like this this turn, like with Cortez, with Ilhan Omar, now Chelsea Garrett, right? Now they're becoming slowly integrated into the establishment left. Yeah. And it was only a matter of time because look. Independent libertarians, and I hate to say this, I know there's a good faction out there, Scott Horton's out there, the Libertarian Party. I, I, I support the idea, but you are getting no backing whatsoever, no matter what. Not right now. It's a shame because I would like to support that. Part. I do. Um, well, you know, but, this is a big, I listen to Libertarian podcasts, right? And this mm. is a discussion that goes on because there's a period in time where the question of is there a ceiling limit isn't relevant because you're growing and 2008 time 2009 10 streaming video comes online okay so then we can forget about all questions of um how far can we go because we're finding that out we've got this new tool and there's a sense in the open field in an open debate the, the libertarian position can win certainly libertarians feel that of course they do Right, so one of the first documentaries on YouTube, actually, way back in 2006, is uh, put out by the Mises Institute. And it's a, a Ron Paul documentary about the gold standard and where the Federal Reserve comes from and mm. what it does to our money. And at the end of it, it says, you can, if you want a, uh, more information on this, you can send a, um, 
a self-addressed stamped envelope to blah, blah, blah. And it's incredible, right? Because it was only made just a few years earlier. Right. So all of a sudden, this is explosion of information becomes available. That coincides with the Ron Paul revolution. And there's an exponential growth in libertarianism and people searching for things like Austrian economics. And that wave carries on. It falls away a bit. And we learn that actually charismatic leaders are important. And when you don't have a Ron Paul, you don't have that same centralizing force. Okay. Even if they're not important to you or me, uh, because it, we would like to think it's more about the ideas to a lot of the population they are. And that's, you know, I've heard it said by uh, William Pepper. That's why it was important yeah. to get rid of Martin Luther King and um, Fred Hampton and Robert Kennedy in the sixties, right? Cause they're charismatic leaders. Yeah. They give a focal point to a movement. So that's okay. So there's a bit of a dip, but then you'd expect a gradual recovery. And there's a feeling amongst a lot of libertarians, a kind of black pilled pessimism feeling that it's reached a ceiling limit. And yeah, it'll grow, but these ideas just aren't interesting, aren't appealing to the majority of the population, and they are never going to be. And the majority of the population are not won over by logic. They don't sit down at their desk and put all the arguments out in front of them and cross-reference them and see who's right and go with that. It's more to do with what's the in-group doing? Which group do I want to belong to? Okay, and that, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with some facets of evolutionary psychology rising up from when we were apes swinging through the jungle and we all want to get behind the big alpha. And is the big alpha on the left wing or the right wing? Well, I'll go with that then because then that, that will sort me out. I don't want to be the, I don't what it would be like the, uh, I don't know, Sigma or something, right? The, the, um, the outsider, you know, I don't want to be the, the revolutionary outsider because what's he going to do? The lone wolf or whatever. So, and that's like a real kind of, oh, wow, we didn't see this problem coming. We thought we'd just win an intellectual argument again and again and again. And then, you know, Ron Paul will be president, you know, in 2030 or whatever. <laughs> so, so in the face of that not happening, there's a sense of, well, what's the response to that? Where do we go now? And I think there's a, a kind of an uncertainty at the moment of where to go amongst, and probably the same thing in, in 9-11 activism, Adam, of like, yeah. well, okay, for a while, it's all about getting the ideas out, getting the ideas out, getting the ideas out. And then you think, oh, oh, actually, you know, we've hit a ceiling limit here and, and it's the 20th anniversary. You turn up and there's 25 people and half of them are talking about the planes being holograms. Well, this is not good. You know? right. So we've hit a ceiling limit. And the majority of the population, who I feel very detached from, I assume, in, you know, they want to watch the football, whether that's the Premier League here or the Super Bowl there, and they want to watch mm -hmm. game shows and and pick a candidate, whether it's Trump or Biden, and, and join a tribe and get behind the big alpha male ape on the podium. And I don't have um, a solution to that. And I think that's why the S word, the secession word is being mentioned more and more. It's like, okay, we can't live with these people. You know, whoever these people are, whether they're the left or the right, it's like, well, we can't live with them. And we need to go off. And, and in a sense, there has been, this has been a secessionist decade. It's just people haven't realized it. Because what yes. we've done is seceded from the people around us in physical society. And we've gone into virtual communities where we can meet like-minded individuals. So I'm having this conversation with you at 3,000 miles distance. This wouldn't have been possible a few years ago, okay? And then when, when Nelson comes on the phone of us, he's another 2,000 miles away, right? So we have like, it's like a community, okay? And there's not a community that's possible to have with the people physically around me. But what that seems to lead to is more physical disruption because then you go out your doors and you've got someone, you're waving your blue flag and the guy next door is waving a red flag. And it used to be that you needed to get on 
okay, for social interactions, for community. But now you've got community online. So, so screw that guy. <laughs> you don't need him. You don't need him for free. You can have your friends online. You can have your world online, but you still live next to them. So we've seceded intellectually and in terms of friendships, but we haven't seceded physically. And maybe we need to go in that direction or we need to figure out how to get on with our neighbors, but it's looking less likely we, we get on with our neighbors when you've got uh, vaccine mandates coming down. Yeah, you know, let me tell you, in the last year, I've heard more and more about secession of the United States than at any point in my life. Um, I've heard about this about a couple of years ago and started with Texas that they wanted to secede from the, the, the Republic. And then now with COVID, I, I never, I did, and it's coming from the, the, you know, the Republican states itself, they want to secede. We're not realizing that by doing so, it would basically, I think, economically uh, even destroy them further because the richest states in the United States are uh, California and New York, and both are Democratic-leaning. Uh, heavily democratic. Um, so some of the richest states are, are democratic. There's a huge uh, uh, influx of immigrants now coming into Republican states. For example, Texas is basically one of the biggest cities in, in Texas is uh, Fort Worth, and it's liberal. And you would never think in a million years that Texas could turn blue, for example. So where are these people going? Well, I'm hearing now that there is a large contingent of people who are Republican moving to California because there's more jobs to be found in Democratic cities than there are in Republican cities. So what will happen is you'll see people basically move, move out from the red into blue and people move out from blue into red because the blue states are basically almost impossible to live in. Again, even though California and New York are the richest states, they're also financially unfeasible for the middle class. And the middle class is what makes up most of the Republicans themselves. They're basically the working class. Uh, the tech class comes from the blue states, you know, the tech uh, industries, like, for example, in California, Southern California, um, Google, a uh, huge uh, city down in, um, um, oh, I forgot, it's called Tech Capital or Tech City itself. I forgot the name of it. Um, but the homelessness problem, blue states, huge here in New York, California, for example. I mean, all you have to do is look on YouTube and see um, the city of sin itself. And you'll see 10, ten cities, 10 mm. huge mm. cities, ten amazing. Like, oh, my God. And they're basically right on the outskirts of Los Angeles, even in San Diego, of all places. Huge. I mean, for miles. It's an epidemic. So. I, I, I'm, I think in the next, I want to say in the next five years, the homeless epidemic will be unfortunately catastrophic. Here in New York, I can absolutely say that. For example, when we see the homelessness and the eviction rates start to come in, it will decimate the city. And I'm just telling you that because I live here in New York and I'm seeing it right now. But it's not being reported by the legacy media. Why? Because they don't want you to know what's happening. And this is the real issue of COVID, not the vaccine or, you know, the virus spreading, whatever. Like you said before, the real the deaths of this country won't come from the virus itself, but by the, the deprivation of health care 
and also from the lack of jobs and the economic deprivation of poor people, for example, who can't get proper medical care, who can't get to a doctor right away, and who can't get basic food and basic tenements. You know, the average one bedroom here in New York starts at $1,800, $1,800 a month. And meanwhile, the, the minimum wage here in the city is $15. There was a poll that came out recently by thehill.com, basically showed that you need to make, on average, $28 an hour to afford a one-bedroom apartment. And nowhere in the United States, nowhere, can you work 40 hours a week with the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25, $7.25 which hasn't raised in 15 years, you, nowhere in the United States can you live. Why isn't this on the front page of every newspaper blaring in every single media outlet? Because these are the issues they don't want you to know. Because guess what would happen? Both the left and right would basically come together as one and focus their attention Mm. on the power structure. That's why. I think that's the reason why uh, many of the issues regarding, uh, especially economic, regarding the economics of covid and that's the reason why they haven't divided from within. And it's all about vaccine shots or vaccine passports. Think about the bigger picture here. And that's the bigger well, picture. Well, you know what's interesting? I just read a book this week, Dissolving Illusions by Dr. Susan Humphreys. And it's about the history of vaccination from a doctor who became very cynical about vaccination itself and the role that it played in reducing diseases. And the, the basis of that argument is that if you look at diseases like measles, mumps, rubella, and you see them decline, so that... Mm. Vaccination comes in and these diseases just decline, decline, decline. Well, okay, yeah, I know correlation doesn't prove causality, but come on, look at, you know, the, it seems pretty obvious that the rising vaccination rate brought the diseases down. And then you map cholera and scarlet fever onto the same graph and they come down at the same rate without any vaccinations. And then you look prior to the point vaccinations came in and you see the same decline going on and the vaccinations coming in at the end of it and accentuating it. Well, what's going on here then? And of course, the basic answer is people stop rolling around in their own sewage. You know, we, we stop throwing shit out the windows and yes. um, pouring it into the water supply. And lo and behold, people got healthier when they weren't living in moldy, cramped environments, working down mines from the age of two years old and eating stuff we wouldn't give to rats in the bins these days, you know? Mm. So it's very interesting. And in some ways, I found it uh, uplifting to recognize that this current crisis around vaccine mandate is isn't new it's not the first time we've gone through this states have always pushed vaccines they've always really favored them and if you're living 20 to a room with poor light poor sanitation mm. and mold on the walls and eating every third day then of course what you need is aerated accommodation proper sewer systems and proper food and a better standard of living and to stop being a slave basically cramped into these cities that's all very expensive a vaccine is much cheaper. Now, if you think about it as like a livestock issue, right? Let's say you're a farmer and your cows are getting sick. Okay. And there's two possible ways to address that. One is to like increase the space of their pens, muck them out more often, clean them, give them a better diet, let them roam around a field, or you could give them a vaccine. Which one are you going to choose? Well, I, I would give them better conditions to live economically. Well, that's that's very good that you would say that. But if you're a farmer and you're interested in money looking after your cows, you might think, you know what, I'm going to let them roll around on their own shit. I'm going to keep them in confined pens. 
I'm not going to muck them out. I'm not going to employ the people to muck them out. I'm going to have a vet go around and inject them all. And that's the most, from an industrial perspective, that's the most efficient thing to do, right? So then isn't it interesting that if you look at like how states treat the human cattle, rather than provide like the kind of fair welfare that people need, it's easier sure. and cheaper just to give the vaccine shot. Like, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting comparison, isn't it? Um, and are we seeing that again now where you've got, you know, you've got this looming homelessness crisis. It isn't even looming. It's like the wave is upon us in, in, in New York and California. And what has um, Bill de Blasio done? Right? What, what's the big thing to solve this? Mandated vaccines. Right. <laughs> and it's like, right. this is a joke, right? <laughs> well, he, he's also, w w one thing that I noticed too, is that they'll actually bus homeless people out of the city so that they can basically say that they don't have much of a homeless problem. Uh, I lived in Las Vegas, for example, and it's notorious under then Mayor Oscar Goodman, who would actually uh, he was bus the mob lawyer. people. Right. Yeah, he was the former mob lawyer to Tony Spilatro of the Chicago right. Syndicate, the movie Casino. Um, yeah, he's actually right, in. right, right. <laughs> anyway, he would actually give $50 vouchers and he actually passed a law in Las Vegas where no casino on the Strip or even downtown um, where you, they, any leftovers from food of these casinos are not to be given to any homeless shelter. Mm. They basically rather throw it away than give it to homeless because what would happen is that why would they want to leave? It's a warm climate. You're, they're not basically freezing to death and they're getting fat on the food that the, the casinos throw away. Goodman basically created that law and started giving $50 vouchers to the homeless people to move to New York and New Jersey. And so New York and New Jersey, I live in New York, and what they do is they basically give them $100 vouchers to go out west into California. Into, so you see that like these are transients. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing and in so Canada. Were, all the addicts end up in Vancouver because they're paid to go out there. Right, exactly. And so what, what's happening is that the homeless problem is not being solved. It's getting worse, but it's not being reported honestly by your state's governments because they're basically shipping out mm. homeless people. Mm. And at the other end, they're coming in. So, um, yeah, I mean, but with more homelessness comes more sickness itself, disease and, you know, influenza, the flu basically comes. We're yeah. expecting a very we're expecting a very harsh winter this year mm. because it's a La Nina pattern. And I could see like this could be just a disastrous next couple of months. And if you think that 2020 was bad and 2021 was awful, you know, 2022 could be just as horrible. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. There's no doubt. Sure. But I think the worst is yet to come in terms of like poverty. You know, look, throughout the epoch of humanity, you know, it's almost at, like the precipice of humanity where we're destroyed or you know, our backs against the wall, then we fight back. But when is that going to happen here? You know, I'm a pessimist, and that's my anomaly. But, um, boy, wouldn't it be right now, before we go into that uh, period of self-destruction, which is manufactured destruction by the state government and also the federal, where we're basically just saying, you know, hey, let's stop fighting over this ridiculous divide of politics and racism and religion, start turning our attention to the people who created these outcomes in the first place. And they're doing a good job of dividing us further and further away from each other. 
that's that's what I'm afraid of. Well, I think you can be optimistic for yourself and for people in community with you who who are awake to this and can move and flow with it. And you know, it's it's just the vast percentage of people who want to live in a totalitarian state are probably going to get their wish. What would be, you know, that's an interesting point to raise. Now, I, I happen to think that people of the left, like people who are the establishment left, I see them on Twitter all the time, that they, you know, Biden supporters. These are people who actually would support. Now, in other words, they support, they also support the vaccine mandates. Like, hmm. would, these peop, would these people actually support a totalitarian type of government? Well, I mean, are they not doing that already? If you don't have the right to determine what gets injected into your body, where are you? Right, like the Dave Smith, the potential libertarian candidate for, okay. for right. president Libert- yeah. next time around. Right? Uh, he, he was on Fox, and he said the F word. He dropped an F bomb, said the fascist word, right? Oh. And said, we're now living in a fascist state. And the um, the lady who was on with him said, "Ah, ridiculous! You don't know what fascism is." Uh, well. I can see that perspective, you know, because, well, come on, they're just, you know, it's a vaccine, it's safe and effective, and it's there for your health. But to say that, you know, if you don't have control of what's injected in your body, what, like, how is that not fascist? How is this not the marriage between corporation and state, between the, the US right. government and the pharmaceutical companies, that they can mandate injections? And it's not just the vaccine, it's you've effectively lost health freedom. What else could be mandated around obesity? Around, right. you know, and I don't think they will because I don't think they, they care about obesity. You can be as obese as you want, but you just got to take the vaccine. Right. Uh, interestingly enough, Howard Stern actually came out uh, the other day and he basically said, well, the hell with the unvaccinated. I want my freedoms. And he supports like even forced vaccine mandates. And I'm like, Well, I think the way the United United States is going, it's having the fascism of the state is hiding behind corporations. So you have the First Amendment. When YouTube is the Internet, Mm. then if you don't have freedom of speech on YouTube, you effectively don't have freedom of speech. Okay, And now you have the freedom to not have a vaccine. You just can't have little luxuries like a job. And only but only for a company above 100 people. Right. And then they they can test you every week, but they can fire you. So... uh, it's a creeping fascism that is being carried out through corporations, through a, a ostensibly private sector, mm-hmm. which really has to count out to the state. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. It's almost like, you know, the, the fascist essence regarding the United States itself is basically using the left and yeah. basically using yeah. that authoritarian narrative because it works well for them as well. Okay, Adam, on that depressing note, <laughs> we'll conclude yes. the, uh, the discussion with Zina. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll have a chat with you again soon. Sure. Thank you, Richard. I'll see you later.